Hello and welcome to Watch It Baptist Church Online. You're at our YouTube channel. Uh, my name's Mike, I'm the pastor at WBC. It's great to have you with us. I'm back uh, in the woods near Holford uh, and we're talking again, uh, looking at the 16th chapter of Matthew, Matthew 16, and this time we're looking at verses 5 to 12. So I'm going to read that straight away and then we'll pray and then we'll have a little bit of a think about what they tell us. Later, after they crossed to the other side of the lake, the disciples discovered they had forgotten to bring any bread. Watch out, Jesus warned them. Beware of the yeast of the Pharisees and Sadducees. At this, they began to argue with each other because they hadn't brought any bread with them. Jesus knew what they were saying, so he said, You have so little faith. Why are you arguing with each other about having no bread? Don't you understand even yet? Don't you remember the 5,000 I fed with five loaves and the basket of leftovers you picked up? Or the 4,000 I fed with seven loaves and the large baskets of leftovers you picked up then? Why can't you understand that I'm not talking about bread? So again I say, beware of the yeast of the Pharisees and Sadducees. Then at last they understood that he wasn't speaking about the yeast in bread, but about the deceptive teaching of the Pharisees and Sadducees. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we put ourselves in your hands and particularly put ourselves in your Spirit's hands. And Holy Spirit, we ask that we would uh, be agitated in our thinking, that, that maybe some of the sediment of our assumptions gets shifted and moved around. That who we are in you will be taken forwards as we look to understand this teaching. Amen. So here we are back on the lake and actually this is a crucial moment because this is, I think in Matthew, have understood it right, the last point at which Jesus leaves Galilee and goes south towards Jerusalem. So there's a real departure here. He's gone in and out of Galilee quite a lot and he's made several attempts to engage with people and have them understand his message but ultimately it seems it hasn't been received so well and so he's moved on. And he's going to Greek-speaking places next. Now, really, the narrative here is very helpful for us. Now, some bits of the Bible, you have to sort of go through with a fine-tooth comb, untangling meaning. Here, quite a lot of the work is done for us by Jesus as he explains what's happening and why it bothers him. Because it clearly does. But in this passage, they head across without enough food. And... They, being you know, a group of relatively young, presumably fairly active men, um, are going to have healthy appetites. So one loaf of bread between 13 guys isn't going to cut it. And so as soon as Jesus starts talking about yeast, or leaven is, is a better way of, of just translating that, they immediately think, well, leaven is part of bread, and we don't have enough bread, and maybe he's cryptically having a little pop at whether or not we've got enough supplies. Jesus' frustration comes from one particular place, which is that he has demonstrated very recently his ability to provide food whenever it's needed. So why on earth would they worry about it? You almost get the impression he thinks they're a bit thick at this stage. And maybe they are. Maybe it's just that they're really hungry. Maybe it's that they've been slow on the uptake. Maybe it's that actually this is a good moment for Jesus to express how important it is that they have a faith not just that they see things and like them, not just that they do things and feel excited about them, but they actually 
ground themselves in trusting who Jesus is and what he does. Ultimately, what he says is, there's an issue here with the Sadducees and the Pharisees. Now, what he doesn't do is explain what that issue is. There's something about deceptive teaching at the end of that passage, but doesn't say this kind of deceptive teaching or teaching that deceives in these ways. He just you know, points out that that's what he was driving at. The reason why I go for leaven rather than yeast is because uh, leaven was a way in which you made bread. So you'd, you'd make a load of bread and then you'd take the end of the last batch and you'd use it as the basis for the next batch. So one small part would then have a big impact on um, how that next loaf was cooked, was baked, and how it rose and you know, became bigger. Because of this ability that yeast or leaven had to do that, it had become uh, a, a really sort of helpful shortcut to things that would corrupt. So part of the reason why God instructs Israel to make bread without yeast um, is that take, uh, for uh, the Passover is that this is a way of explaining how they mustn't take anything with them from the culture they're leaving that might prove damaging or corrupting for their walk with God. We see this time and again through the sort of uh, the Exodus Leviticus numbers sort of law stuff that very often when God gives instructions he's encouraging, no he's not encouraging, he's demanding that his people leave behind the corrupting influence of the place that they've turned away from and embrace a purer, holier way of doing things. This is why we have that instruction in Leviticus, I think, about not, make, not, having, not wearing clothes made from cloth that combines two materials. I could have put that a lot better. Because that was a common Egyptian way of doing things. So they were to leave that behind. Don't, don't corrupt one thing with another. Just be all in for God. In much the same way later on, James talks about being all in for Jesus. So if there's a risk that something around you can come into who you are and as you grow can mess with or corrupt who you come to be, how your character develops, how your how your spirituality um, is formed, then you need to be aware of that and remove it. And this is the heart of what Jesus is saying. Don't get confused, just understand the Pharisees and Sadducees bring something with them that has the potential to corrupt and damage. I've been watching, because you can hardly help it these days, some reruns of um, old episodes of Friends, the American sitcom. And one that I watched recently from very early on, I think first season, uh, is an occasion where uh, one red item of clothing ends up in the laundry with lots of white things. And it's Rachel doing the laundry. She's never had to do her own laundry. She's determined to do it well. And she's done everything right except leave this red item in. So everything comes out really vibrant pink, which in my experience is not what happens when you leave something in the wash. Things come out mottled and weird. But anyway, vibrant pink is what she gets. She's really gutted. One small thing has completely ruined the whole load of laundry. It's not just that there's a, a little bit that's a bit redder or pinker. The whole lot has gone wrong. With yeast or with leaven, it has an impact on the whole loaf, not just the bit that you, that you brought it into when you first did the mixture, but the whole thing has an impact. And it's not the same in any way 
as if that bit had been left out. Leave out the red sock or whatever it was and Rachel would have had sparkly white laundry. Leave that one little thing in, everything changes. So what's Jesus driving at with this yeast leaven of the Pharisees and Sadducees? Well, like I said, it can be hard to get our, uh, our sense of certainty from how he puts this. But it is worth, first of all, referring back. So in the previous passage, we had that moment where the Pharisees and Sadducees demand a sign. They say, we want proof. We want, um, we want things to be uh, unambiguous. We want them to be definite. We want there to be no area where we don't have certainty. Effectively, they were saying, we don't want to trust that something is true. We want it to be undeniably the case. And this is, I think Jesus is saying, problematic. If you have an attitude to Jesus that says, I demand that he does things for me before I will trust him, that can quickly become something that shapes the whole of your discipleship. But there are other things that have that impact from a Pharisee or Sadducee point of view. See, the Sadducees, we said before, were very pragmatic um, and maybe a little bit compromising. They, they were willing to kind of hedge their bets in order to make it all make sense. You know, they, they wanted some kind of rationalised way of understanding things. And they only took their understanding of what God was like and how he revealed himself from the first five books of the Bible, from the Torah, not from any of the other prophetic writings or poetry. So they were rather narrow. And, and similarly, the Pharisees were, well, we tend to think of them as being legalistic. You must do this this way, uh, or bad things will happen in the universe, kind of thing. And so I think what Jesus might be saying is, beware of that kind of attitude, where, where all eyes have to be dotted and all T's crossed. Because Jesus is compassionate and human. That's that wonderful thing full humanity so that's what he's like so if that's what he's like then we can depend on that and we can build our relationship with him around that i think the reality is that the pharisees didn't really have a relationship with god at all what they had was um a, a checklist almost like a, a computer program that was their connection with god you know we we put this thing in and, and this outcome happens as a result or, or maybe that classic vending machine example you know pharisees were like well if you put these coins in in the right order you will get this can of cold drink or this chocolate bar um you know heavenly blessed chocolate bar uh, and so jesus is, is trying to get his disciples to see that they need to leave all that kind of perspective behind what you need to stand on ultimately he says is who i am He's just finished talking about how the only sign he will give is the sign of Jonah. That indication that the triumph over death will be the ultimate indicator of his authority. And so maybe what he's saying to the disciples is, you let any sense of, I don't know, attrition, defeatism, any of that come in to the way you understand God to be, and you're not going to be able to follow you're not going to be able to walk with me the way that you are designed to. Now, where does this leave us? First of all, it's a very different passage from the previous one, but it does absolutely depend on that information from beforehand. Where does it leave us? Well, it leaves us primarily asking ourselves 
how we are like Pharisees or Sadducees. To what extent does our pragmatism or our legalism actually shape how we understand God to work? And what impact does that have on our relationship with the disciples around us and with those around us who don't know Jesus yet? In fact, I would go as far as to say that I think probably that's the key thing. And as Jesus makes his way across the lake and he leaves Galilee and he heads out to the Decapolis, the ten towns, and then goes from there and ends up in Jerusalem. This is a warning. When you walk with me, it needs to be all in. It needs to be rooted in nothing else. Rooted is perhaps the wrong word. I think it's almost like Jesus is saying there's a springboard here that you could bounce off and, and see how far I will send you. But if you bring in this yeast, if you bring in this leaven, if you bring in this compromised understanding, you might as well take the springs off the springboard and then jump on it and see what happens. There is opportunity as we follow Jesus, an opportunity to know him as one who cares, to trust him as one who will not abandon you as you step out in his name, doing wondrous and incredible things. Remember Jesus saying to his disciples, you will do greater things than I. I remember um, being amazed the first time I heard the story of how Jesus was backed up against a cliff as uh, some of the local people around where he grew up tried to um, get rid of him, push him off this cliff. And then how he seems to suddenly just be able to walk through, uh, almost as if they're not there. Proper, proper weird, proper magic type stuff, you know, amazing miracle. And then you look at what Philip does. So after Pentecost, as he meets that Ethiopian eunuch in the desert, and when he's done with that conversation, the spirit takes him and almost like disappears him from there and reappears him in the towns in Gaza. Just, just like that. Do you ever think that possibly God might want to do that because there is somewhere that he needs you to be? Or do you find yourself thinking, well, it's not rational, is it? Does that, God doesn't work like that because it doesn't make sense. It doesn't follow the laws of physics. That's Sadducee thinking. We have a sign up in the prayer room, in the sanctuary that says expect a miracle. And I, you know, I'm not always quite sure how I feel about that. But one thing I'm determined to do is, is invest enough in God that my faith means I can accept him doing things however he wants to do them. And I can accept him being his answer prayers that I can't see a way that they would work out. There's some of those I pray lots at the moment for people who I'm not sure will ever come to know Jesus for people who have known him but seem to have lost track of him. And I pray that they might come back, not because I can see how rationally it might be done, but because I believe in a God who will do incredible things, because I'm not going to let that Sadducee yeast shape my discipleship. And I won't let legalism do that either. No, I say that. I'm sure I do. I'm sure there are ways in which I think people have to dot some i's and cross some t's but i work very hard at thinking that this jesus who calls me is one who has asked to walk with me who has invited me to come and sit on the father's lap he wants to hold me like i'm a child and with that kind of god it's important that i don't allow t's and i's being dotted and crossed to become the foundation for how i think jesus works i think i said enough um, so in a moment we're going to have three questions, but I'm going to pray 
before that, I just want to leave you with this one thought. Take time to reflect on your own faith, where it comes from, where it's going to, what you depend on, how you trust Jesus, and how far you're willing to step outside rational and predictable and pattern in order to let him be God. Let's pray. Father, we know that we we want to put ourselves in your care and we also know that we struggle to let go. That in various Sadducee and Pharisee ways of, of thinking, we hold on to our own ideas of how we think you will do stuff. We ask you to free us from that. Amen. Right then, some questions for this session. Question one. Who do you trust to tell you how you are sometimes a bit of a Pharisee or a bit of a Sadducee? Who is there in your life? Which other disciples did you let speak that into who you are and how you think? And for a bonus part of the question, when will you invite them to do that? Question two. What is the yeast in your life? I'm going to encourage you not to just say Jesus, because we all want that to be the case, but we all know that as what Paul calls our sinful nature means that that's not actually the case. There are other things that come into our mixture and which mean that we rise in other ways. So what what is your yeast? What are the things that shape you that aren't Jesus? Question three. Going back to the beginning of the passage, we see this concern for the disciples about whether they're going to have enough to eat. And Jesus is frustrated because he's already shown them that he can be depended on. So I want you to be a bit reflective again and ask yourself this. What am I frightened of? What am I frightened of not having or not having enough of? Where do I think I might lack? And how do I let Jesus relieve me of that fear? Okay, we've come to the end of session two. Uh, there are two more sessions in this series looking at the text, and I think we might have a fifth one that looks surrounded up, but we'll see when we get that far. Uh, I hope you've done, been doing well so far this year. Be kind to yourself as we get to the middle of January. It can all feel a bit bleak. So be kind to yourself and let people around you be kind to you too. I look forward to catching up with you soon. Take care.